You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. There is indeed a true and better, and his name is Jesus. Uh, And I hope to point you towards him this morning as we worship through the hearing uh, preaching of God's word. Um, this morning, we're in the book of Exodus. So I, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. We're gonna be in Exodus chapter three and go into four. And we're going to look at one of the most amazing pieces of narrative in the Old Testament when we see how God reveals himself and meets with his people. So if you would, as you're turning to uh, Exodus three, pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace upon grace, even in this moment as we are meeting together um, in comfort and in safety. Lord, help us not to take for granted what this day is about, this Lord's day where you have ordained your people to come together to worship you and exalt you and lift you up. But Lord, how we can benefit from that. Help us not to miss out on that. Father, whether we know it or not, or acknowledge it, we have gathered to behold your glory. Father, I pray that you would help us to do that in the next few moments as we go through Exodus 3 and 4 and considering the story of Moses and ultimately thinking about the true and better Moses, Jesus. Pray this in his beautiful name and everyone said, amen. All right, so we began uh, this series going through the Bible just a couple of weeks ago, and I was really excited because that meant together as a church, we were going to be walking through the Bible together. And I got excited, and I also had figured at, at some point, because of scheduling, that I was going to be asked to fill in. I was just hoping it would be the New Testament. And I got the second book of the Old Testament. <laughs> Uh, I say that because I'm not afraid to admit that the Old Testament to me is still kind of a, a weakness. I love and appreciate the Old Testament, but as I started going through school, uh, I don't know if it was a group of friends or a specific professor that got my eyes to, to open and have a renewed sense of vision uh, and perspective on the Old Testament. So I was excited for the opportunity to get to dive into the book of Exodus. And as I was thinking about that, trying to kind of give a summary touchdown in one place in the book. I thought, where would be the best place to go? And I asked a couple of other friends of mine who preach and teach regularly. And uh, we agreed that Exodus 3 and 4, where we see Moses' encounter with the burning bush. So that's where we're going to be. Before we begin, I wanted to show you this envelope that I brought up with me this morning. Um, I believe that in this envelope, there is something of particular importance to you. I believe that what is in this envelope uh, contains several things. Now, one of those things being the most important commandment that has been given to Christians, okay? Along with that, I believe that what is in this envelope contains some of the, one of the most powerful pieces of encouragement for Christians living in a day like this in 2020, but it's something I fear that we forget and maybe even neglect, and just need to be reminded of. And that's in this envelope. And I'm going to leave it right there. 
Maybe eventually, time permitting, we'll get to it. Amen? No, you're like, you want to know what's in it now, right? Exodus is a wonderful book. And I'm not just saying that because I have to speak and teach and preach from it. I believe it is a wonderful book because it's an important part of the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is also basically known as the five books of Moses, the first five books in the Old Testament. And in this book, we see the historical count of God delivering his people out of Egyptian slavery. In fact, the word Exodus literally means a going out of or a departure, okay? The word Exodus came from the Greek Septuagint, the Greek word Exodus. That's where we get our word Exodus. So it's literally the same thing. Now, in um, starting this morning, and I thought about if I was trying to give a summary of the book, but also preach from it, how would I do that? Well, I thought about asking this question. Why on earth would anyone want to study the book of Exodus? Why would any Christian want to study the book of Exodus? Well, let me give you four quick reasons. Uh, these won't be on the screen. You may want to jot them down if you want them. It's okay if you don't. I don't get points in heaven for it. This is just for your benefit. Uh, and actually what I pulled these from was a, was a great book on uh, the book of Exodus. So First reason we should want to study the book of Exodus. And by the way, in not only showing you what we benefit or why we should want to study it, I want to put this or submit this to you on an effort of we should desire this as Christians. Amen? So here's the first one. We should study the book of Exodus to know God better. In this book, we will see, we'll read in just a few moments, we meet the living God just as Moses did when he encountered I am in the burning bush. Psalm 66 affirms this. Verses five and seven say, come and see the wonders of God. His acts for humanity are awe-inspiring. He turned the sea into dry land and then they crossed the river on foot. There we rejoiced in him. His rules forever. He rules forever by his might, excuse me. He keeps his might. He keeps his eye on the nations, the rebellious, should not exalt themselves. So number one, we want to know God better. Second reason we would want to study the book of Exodus, to understand God's redemption better. To understand God's redemption better. Exodus gives us a picture of the gospel, which is really amazing when you think about it, because most of the times when we think about the gospel, we think about the New Testament. But we see in the narrative of Exodus that we see the very first traces of God acting throughout humanity, which in essence kind of shows us traces and pictures of the gospel. One of the things that makes the Old Testament so interesting is when you learn to read it and study it with Jesus in mind. And when you start looking for Jesus in it, no matter where you're reading, you'll see amazing parallels and connections. And the narrative of the book of Exodus will make more sense when you see how it relates to Jesus. We'll think about that a little bit this morning. Third reason you'd wanna, you should want to study Exodus, to understand God's mission better. And our mission, for that matter. We want to understand God's mission better. The mission of the church, dear friends, does not begin with the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. That is, Jesus' commands and Great Commission but it doesn't begin there. It actually traces back to certain points in the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus, we see that God will act out out of concern for his people. And we see that he cares about physical injustice as well as spiritual deliverance. So long before the church came into existence, a couple thousand years later, 
God began giving us traces of what mission actually looks like. And we'll see some of that in Exodus. The fourth reason we'd want to study this book is to draw lessons for living out our faith on a daily basis. To draw lessons for living out our faith on a daily basis. And when I say that, I mean practical things here, such as taking care of the unborn, uh, racism and murder, all the way down to how God can use weak and imperfect and ordinary people to accomplish his good purposes. And this is where we'll pick up in Exodus chapter three and four. Now, I wanna take a second and be clear about what I'm trying to do and what I'm, uh, how I'm approaching this text because what I'm used to doing in preaching is covering maybe anywhere from one to four verses. But as you can tell, with what we're trying to do, that's not the case. We're gonna do an entire chapter. We're gonna read it together and uh, dive into chapter four. So it's kind of tough to cover two whole chapters and give you points. I know that's kind of what we're used to. I mentioned this uh, in our first worship gathering, how even last week I thought Brandon did an incredible job uh, going through Genesis, but I was talking with my wife about it afterwards and she said probably the same thing some of you might've said was that he didn't have points. He was just kind of reading. How many of you love points for sermons? Find them helpful, yeah. So what I thought about doing was, I wanna read the Bible with you, but I'll stop and give you some highlights. Sound good? All right, so that's, that's my goal. That's what I'm trying to do. And the reason I'm excited about it is because I thought about it this week as I was preparing. What I'm essentially gonna try and get to do this morning is kind of picture or mimic a sermon that would have been given in the New Testament. Because when you look at sermons in the New Testament, it's really just guys getting up, proclaiming good news and quoting the Old Testament. They didn't have points in uh, certain uh, speaking ways of, to try and get people to engage. It was just proclaiming the good news, quoting the scriptures. So that's my heart this morning as we dive in. We're, it may seem kind of tedious because we're gonna read a bunch of verses, but I believe that there's power in that and I believe that there's importance to it. So that's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna read together. All right. Before we read, let me ask you a question. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Think about it right now. Kind of for the sake of maybe the illustration, but think about one thing that you may not like about yourself, whether it be your skin complexion, your hair color, the length of your hair, your height, your weight, uh, the way you talk, your accent, uh, your dialect, maybe even your IQ. There's something you could change about yourself. Think of it. And when you have it, raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you what it is. I just want to see hands. Think about what that is. Most of us, as much as many people we had in the first service, I thought almost everyone had their hands up. And I guess not everyone was brave and wanted to do that. But we could agree that most of us have something about ourselves that we don't like, right? Okay. Keep that in mind because we're going to touch on that as we read this narrative in Exodus chapter 3. And part of the reason I got excited again about preaching this, this text is because we get to see God using weak and imperfect people by God's power for his glory and for the good of others. And listen, as remarkable as this event is, Moses meeting God up on the hill in the form of a burning bush, as remarkable and amazing as that is, it is. Revealing God revealing himself and his plan in the, form of the burn, of the form of a burning bush is a big deal. But what I don't want to miss out on is the fact that God re- revealed himself at all. 
So let's just kind of sink in and relish in that thought of the fact that God has made his way down to imperfect people and still decides to use us for his greater glory and for the good of others. And I hope to show you that, that, that kind of being the bigger picture here this morning. So as we dive in, here we go, we're gonna read. And this is the first thing that I would point out to you. It's gonna be on the screen, hopefully. First thing that I would jot down if we're reading together is this, that God reveals himself. That's a big deal. Let's not miss out on that. God is revealing himself. Let's read that. Verse one, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. That's literally what Horeb, Horeb means. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and of Moses, or excuse me, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Now, can we just soak this in for a moment? Can we just relish in this event actually happening at a point in history? Not only just for the fact that a bush was on fire, burning, not fully consumed, meaning if you light a bush on fire, it probably die. This one kept going. Not only that, but the fact that the bush is speaking. Crazy, right? Think about it. If Moses, put yourself in Moses' shoes. Or, well, he, didn't, he took his shoes off. So put yourself in Moses' feet. If you could, in that moment, think about what you would have to explain when you went down to your people. Hey, uh, I was up at the top. Uh, this bush got on fire and it started speaking to me. You can imagine what your people would say of you, right? That's crazy. So as amazing as this event is and the way that God chose to reveal himself, I'm positive that I would be overwhelmed if I was Moses, probably to the point of tears. I don't know if that's because I'm a big baby, but I know that anytime um, being in the presence of God, when you, you, feel, you really kind of fully experience it and all of its goodness, it overwhelms us. So I want us to take that in as, as, as we continue to read and we see this narrative playing out in Exodus chapter three. So the text says that an angel of the Lord appeared and spoke to him. Now it's important to note this, it, the, the verses say that the angel of the Lord spoke. It's important for us to know that he's not speaking for the Lord, rather he's speaking as the Lord. Okay, follow me? Now, what's cool about this is this is actually, this event, this appearing is actually has a term uh, ascribed to it. It's actually known as a theophany. Everyone say that, theophany. Theophany, try it again. Very good. Has anyone ever heard that word before? Last time it was like maybe two or three people. Yeah, <clears throat> simply uh, a theophany is an appearance of, an, of the invisible God. In fact, there have been many throughout history, theologians and pastors who believe that this specific appearance in, ex, in Exodus 3 was an appearance of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, which is amazing to think about and something we'll, we'll kind of touch on here in just a few moments. So in Exodus 3, we have this theophany and the last thing that we read in verse six is how God responds to Moses. And he says, I am 
the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's going to repeat that another two times. What I, what I hope you'll see, not only with the title of our time this morning and the way it's worded, even in maybe how I emphasized I am, I hope you'll see that that is actually the key to understanding what's going on here. God didn't say I was the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, I am. So he's telling Moses, I am the living God. The God of this burning bush is not an unknown God. Rather, it is the God who entered into a covenant relationship with his forefathers. And this is particularly interesting when you take this passage and you put it up against something that Jesus did in the New Testament. So if you wanna jot this down, Mark chapter 12, verses 26 through 27. This is where Jesus is interacting with the Sadducees and he's trying to prove to them the resurrection. He said this, and as he quotes Exodus, Jesus said, and as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush? how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not a God of the dead. Instead, he is a God of the living and you are quite wrong. Now, let's continue on as as we're reading. We're gonna pick up at verse seven. And what I want you to see here is not only has God revealed himself, God reveals his plan. God reveals his plan. Verse seven, then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Verse nine, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Thinking about the slavery. Come, I will send you, he's speaking to Moses now. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. So We're learning more about this God after he's revealed himself. Now he's telling us what he's about and what he's going to do. And we see that he cares for his broken creation and he will do what is necessary to make it right. So we can conclude from this text that God then in doing that in caring for his people and wanting to fix it, the way he does that is he's a God who sends. He takes broken people who are unworthy and pretty much unable to do it and still uses us for his glory to complete his purposes. So he sends different people on different assignments all throughout Old Testament history as just as he's doing here with Moses, little things, revealing who he is and revealing what his plan is. But as we continue to read, what I want you to see is how the human element comes into play. It literally comes to the surface. We will see Moses and all of his greatness, and in just a few moments, we'll see Moses, excuse me, Moses and all of his imperfections. And what I hope you'll see on a relational level is how you and I can kind of relate to this. So as we continue to read, I want to show you what Moses lacked. There are four or five things that Moses lacked, and I want to point them out to you as we read. All right, pick up at verse 11. And the first thing that Moses lacked was credentials. Notice Moses' lack 
of credentials, okay? In verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but, this is God's great promise, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, if we're honest, we could think about uh, this story and kind of put ourselves in it and thinking most of us would probably respond in the same way, would we not? Who am I to do this? I don't have any street cred. I don't, I don't know why you're choosing me, God. I don't have this characteristic or I can't do that. But the way that God responds is crucial. It's pivotal, so don't miss it. He said, Moses, I will be with you. Now, let's pick up at verse 13. And what I want you to notice here is Moses' lack of content. Moses' lack of content. Look at verse 13, read with me. Then Moses said to God, we're gonna go all the way down to 22. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what is his name? Moses said, what shall I say to them? Then God replied to Moses, I am who I am. How many of you heard that statement before in church? Good. Has uh, any of your friends or family members ever said that to you? And you're looking at them kind of crazy. Like what on earth does that mean? You're kind of stupid. God says it and it's totally credible and meaningful and powerful. And we'll look at that in just a moment. So God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac and of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 18, and they will listen to your voice. What did God just say? Hey, when you go down there and speak to the leaders, the elders, they will listen to you. But still notice what Moses does. So they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the land of wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord, our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Verse 20. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry, and also for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Now, I love the way that God responds. I talked about that as we read it. Moses says, what shall I say? He says, tell them I am who I am. What does that mean? Has anyone ever thought about that? Yeah, I have, because I've had to study it and now kind of teach on it and preach on it. 
But even then, I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit, you know, pastors don't have everything figured out. We're, we're just called by God to, to do this work. I'm, I still believe that this statement is so deep and we could spend a whole nother sermon, another 30, or five, 30 to 45 minutes thinking about that. But here's kind of what I wanna submit to you this morning in reference to trying to understand when God says, I am who I am, what does he mean? He's, I think he means this. God is self-existent and self-sufficient. He needs no air, no sleep, and no food. He doesn't need us, but we surely need him. God is majestic in mysteriousness. Take this story, for example. We will never have God totally figured out. And if that's true, which I believe it is, God is not a book that you just read and put back on your shelf. God is not a class that you take. God is eternal and unchangeable. When he says, I am, he is the great I am. Now, again, there's so much more that we could try and think about uh, on this one statement. But again, for, for, for the sake of time and, and trying to grasp the, the, the narrative and what's going on and the greatness of the statement I am, if I could sum that up, here's what I think God is essentially telling Moses here when he says, I am who I am. Moses, behold your God. Behold the greatness of your God. In his book, A Knowledge of the Holy, <clears throat> excuse me, A.W. Tozer said, God needs no one. Amen? Do y'all believe that? <clears throat> God is completely self-sufficient, doesn't need us. But when faith is present, he will work through anyone. As we see that here with Moses and all his doubts and fears and imperfections. Let's pick up at chapter four. We're gonna read a few verses here. And as we read, let me show you the third thing. The third thing that Moses lacked was converts. Notice Moses' lack of converts. Now I'll explain that in just a second. But read with me at uh, verse one of chapter four. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So Moses did, as he said, he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. By the way, I would assume that most guys know, maybe even women in here, that's not the way you pick up a snake, right? Where do you pick it up at? By the head. So this is crazy. Imagine a picture what God's kind of showing us here. Not only his power, but his authority over all things. He's telling one of his broken creatures to pick it up by the tail. So put your hand out and catch it by the tail. So Moses did as he said, he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Uh, now, I don't know about you. Again, if I was in Moses's feet, not sandals, because he's barefoot. If that happened to me, not only would I be overwhelmed in the whole moment of speaking to a burning bush, knowing it's God, but then to do that and to see lesions and cuts and a whole bunch of funky stuff on my hands, I'd be willing to bet there'd be more uh, than just some water stuff here. My cloak will probably be kind of drenched too. Because I'm like, in a moment, I did as God said in this. But then look what God does. <clears throat> Put your hand inside your cloak. So he did. 
Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So as he put his hand back inside his cloak, when he took it out, beheld, excuse me, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. It was back to normal. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the second sign, the latter sign. If they will not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you will take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Now, even though God, excuse me, told Moses that the leaders and the elders of the, the group of people that he was leading would believe him, Moses did what? He still lacked trust and confidence. He literally said, well, what if they don't believe me? Does that sound familiar at all? Does that sound like us? Like, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid to admit that, that that's me sometimes. What if they don't believe me? Hopefully we're seeing the correlation here. Moses, in a sense, is us. But there is a bigger picture. And there is a truth that is greater. And this is what God is telling Moses in relation to going and taking this message and carrying it forth. God is saying, hey, I'm the one who makes converts. Your job, your job is to trust me and deliver the message. Christians, we need to remember that as we're going about our daily lives, knowing that we've been given this command and this mission to take the good news to all of the world. It's not our job to get per- people converted. God does that. We simply go as messengers with a message. Simple, isn't it? Maybe not. Because I think what we'll see here is Moses kind of takes it to the next step as we read verses 10, 11, 12. And what I want to show you here is, again, probably something a lot of us in this room could relate to. As we read these verses, notice Moses' lack of communication skills. Notice his lack of communication skills. Let's read it. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? God knows the answer. It's him. Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. You know what I think I love most about this, uh, this area that Moses lacked <clears throat> and that he was kind of weak in? Uh, the communication skills is that it's very relational. Many of us this morning here can relate to a fear of public speaking. But one thing that I've learned with a fear of public speaking or any fear in general is this. Our fears should not paralyze us. They should lead us to a deeper desperation for God's help. Amen? They shouldn't paralyze us. They draw us closer to God. Our confidence should not be in ourselves. Rather, our confidence should be in God himself. And Paul spoke about this very thing in his second letter to the Corinthians, where he said, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Now, there is one last thing that Moses shows us here in chapter four, and it's down at verse 13 through 17. So as we read these, let me show you Moses's lack of commitment. Notice Moses's lack of commitment 
as we read. Excuse me, I lost my point. Okay, here we go. But he said, oh Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth. And you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. At this point, dear friends, it seems that Moses is out of excuses. God has literally given instruction, told him what he will do in light of what Moses feels that he can't do. And God responds in anger, but in that anger, he still is extending Moses grace. It's almost as if Moses said this, God, here I am, send someone else. The rest of chapter four goes on to show uh, the completion of this journey and ultimately how God was faithful in accomplishing his purposes through Moses and Aaron. But dear brothers and sisters, as nice as that is to see the real, the relevant and what's relational to us and kind of seeing how God used Moses and how God can use us, as nice as it is to see and pull encouragement from the fact that yes, we're still broken. Yes, we need help. Yes, we have fears. As nice as it is to see that and be encouraged and know that God is always with us. If we miss out on who God actually is and the fact that he is our strength and our source for everything that we need and supplies us with everything as we go, if we miss out on that, then we've missed out on the entire scope of scripture altogether. So to show you what I mean, let's begin to kind of wrap this up. I wanna go back to a profound statement that we read in chapter three. It was verse 13 and 14, where God replied to Moses when he asked that question. And he said, I am who I am. And then he told Moses to tell his people, tell them that I am has sent me. Now, try not to get emotional because it's completely providential. Yesterday, I was listening to... um, and I read and uh, listen to one of my daily devotionals called Solid Joys. And yesterday happened to be on Exodus three fourteen, where the main idea was the statement, I am who I am. I had no idea it was coming. I just went to listen and read and it was there. And one of the things that I heard helped me kind of wrap all this up, kind of make it, I don't want to say real, but kind of tangible for us. Said this, one implication of the magnificent name, I am who I am, is that the infinite, absolute, self-determining God has drawn near to us in the person of Jesus Christ. That is what is so magnificent about the narrative of Exodus, is that it's God meeting with his people. Amen? Now, the reason we read from Hebrews 11 at the beginning of our time before I even got up to speak was that the author noted, if you might have noticed that I noticed or I tried to emphasize a couple of words each time, but the author noted that anything that Moses did was done in faith. He said, by faith. So all the good things that Moses was able to accomplish was done in faith. 
But here's what I've learned about faith and as long as I've been following Jesus. It's not about how much faith you have or how deep your faith goes in your walk with Christ. It's more about what you put your faith in. What you put your faith in is more, is actually the, the foundation, the breaking point, if you will. So if your faith is not in Christ, where's that going for you? How is that going? Moses was able to accomplish so much for the kingdom by having faith in the great I am. He put his faith in I am. In John chapter eight, Jesus is answering criticism from the Jewish leaders. And in verse 56, he replied and said this, Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. And then the Jewish leaders responded to Jesus and they said, well, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, I love how we take the term Jesus juke in 2020, but I love how I'm pretty sure Jesus thought he was doing this as he replied to these leaders. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. And so for those of us who are Christians who have been converted, we have this amazing privilege of knowing Yahweh is God our Father. As to know the great I am. There was a quote I heard, I wish I knew who it was, so I'll just say it was a wise man that once said this. I know I am nothing, but I know I am. I know I am nothing, but I know I am. We get to know God on a personal level. We get to know this God who exists. We get to know this God who never changes. And we get to know this God who always has our best interest. And this God from whom all power and energy in the universe flows out of. This is the great I am. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that loves us. And in turn, we love him. And dear friends, this is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. You don't know why Christianity is so unique? Every other religion of the world is man's attempt to get to God. But what do we just read in Exodus? Christianity is about God coming down to man. I don't know who you are if that speaks to you. I know that's something uh, Christians struggle with, especially in this day and age, is the, the idea of legalism and not being enough and not doing enough. Christian, you are loved. I know that for a fact. How do you know that, Tony? The cross. So this is what sets Christianity apart, and this is why, what makes Christianity so worth it. Now, this is where I would pray and close, but I did tell you at the beginning of our time about this envelope. If you're still curious, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. I told you at the beginning of our time there was something in this envelope that was particularly important to you and that it had something of value. I believe it contains one of the greatest commandments for Christians and one of the greatest encouragements that we often forget. And this is just a way to illustrate it, but I wrote a verse out on paper. I highlighted a specific part. And I wasn't planning on this until I was finishing up the message last night, but I referenced this verse earlier. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And this is what I want you to think as I read this. I thought of a way to kind of challenge us to leave you this morning is to get you to think about a, a Moses moment. Have you had a Moses moment? 
Are you yearning for a Moses moment where, yes, you've met God, he's revealed himself to you, but you've been missing out on the good things of God by not being obedient to what he's commanded and and asked of us. So Jesus, in the same way that he spoke through Moses in that theophany in in the burning bush in Exodus 3, after his resurrection, appeared to his disciples. Verse 16, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had told them to go to. And look, this is, it doesn't blow my mind. It's funny. Some of them still didn't believe. Jesus is appearing to them after his death and they still don't believe. Listen to what verse 17 says. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, because of that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And then the very last part of that verse, behold, I am with you always. Dear friends, He is indeed the great I am. He is worth our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time, for this moment we've had to worship. God, thank you for revealing yourself. God, I I believe it's important for us to remember that we don't need a new revelation. We, We just need to stake our lives on what you've already given us, what you've already revealed to us. And that's what we have in the Holy Scriptures. So Father, I pray for the one in here who might be visiting and might be new to this church and Christianity thing and not sure about Jesus. Father, I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself in such a way that they would know that what they're thinking and feeling can only come from something outside of them. So Father, I pray that you would help them to respond in such a way that would change their lives. And Father, for the Christian in here, who may have needed this reminder or just to see the importance of Exodus and to focus in on the story of the burning bush and maybe even see it anew. Father, I pray that you would help us to go from here knowing that we belong to the great I am. And since that is true, Lord, there is nothing we have to fear in life. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and his ultimate sacrifice. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 